Are you looking for more excitement than you can find on the comic book shelves? Then head over to HoundComics.com. At Hound Comics, you can choose from comic titles like Average Joe, The Revival, and Brimstone and the Border Hounds. Featuring and created by celebrity founder and CEO, Brimstone. And don't forget to head over to the official Hound store where you can buy comics for adults and kids alike. Also at the Hound store, you can get barbecue sauce with titles like Awesome Sauce and Cherry Bomb. And seasonings like Your Bacon Me Crazy and Dust from Hell. So if you're looking for some comics that are finger licking good, head over to HoundComics.com. Whoa, dudes, Michelangelo here from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original one. Yeah, and you are listening to Candare Podcast. Uh, it happens to be a tribute to comics and pop culture like yours truly, Kawabunga! Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Candare, a tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. But I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Jeff Holcomb. And boy, do we have a special treat for you joining us today. Probably the most perfect guest we could have on this show. Uh, everyone knows, it's no secret, I'm a huge fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. Jack uh, loves his tick, and I, I think uh, <laughs> Jeff probably loves both about equally. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> why not have the voice of uh, Michelangelo and the tick come on, Mr. Uh, Townsend Coleman. Yeah, we got to talk to him today, and boy, what a... A lot of fun that was. We've been wanting him on for a while, and we finally got a hold of him. Yeah, yeah. We've been trying to work that out for a while, but, you know, I understand. He's busy. He's got oh, yeah. a lot of stuff going on, so uh, just the fact that he could take any time to talk with us is amazing. But once we called him up, we just got to talking and just rolled right into the interview. <laughs> so I didn't... Not that I'm complaining. I mean, I love it when that happens. It's, yeah. it's uh, more natural that way. But... Uh, I didn't get to read this intro, so I'm just going to read this intro real quick and cut right over to the interview with Townsend, if that's cool. <laughs> Are you guys down with that? Yeah, that sounds fine. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> we are honored to be welcoming our very special guest. If you grew up in the 80s or 90s, you've undoubtedly heard his voice. He's voiced characters on cartoons like Jem, Pro Stars, Where's Waldo, the animated version of Fraggle Rock. The animated Teen Wolf, just to name a few. But he's probably best known for voicing the Tick and Michelangelo from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Ladies and gentlemen, here's our interview with Townsend Coleman. Hello? Townsend. What? Oh, you guys are always bugging me. Why? What? I'm so sorry, but we we can't uh, pass this opportunity to talk to you up. This is a dream come true. <laughs> well, I hope you're not sorely disappointed. <laughs> oh, I don't think we will be. This, I mean, I'm a huge Ninja Turtles fan. Jack's a huge Tick fan. Yeah. So this is this is only natural. All right. <laughs> well, hey, 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 Dad. It's so hot here. Is it really? Oh my gosh, you can't believe it. Yeah, it's over 100 already. Oh wow. wow. It's it's Well, I say here. already it's noon here, but I mean it, it was at at 8 o'clock this morning it was close to 90. Holy Ooh. cow. See, this is our hot time of year. This the, the August and September, actually September is is pretty much the hottest month of the year here. Yeah, and as, well, as you know, here in Ohio, that's about the time it starts cooling down. Well, I know, and when I moved out here 31 years ago from Cleveland, um, it was like I, I moved in over Labor Day weekend of 1984, and when we pulled in, 
uh, uh, like the Monday or Tuesday after Labor Day. And it was 104 degrees. Wow. And I was like, what in the world? Why? <laughs> the <laughs> you know, sun's broken here. And again, and it stayed like that for, you know, the month of September when back in Ohio, it, you know, it'd be getting all nice and cool and kids going back to school and right. we'd see weather. We'd see weather. Here it is and didn't see weather. Weird. <laughs> right. There's no change of the season. See, that's what I want out of life. I, I don't like the change of the seasons. I don't like the fall. I don't like the winter. It's just a, it's just a hassle. I want the hot all year round. I'd like it. Are you- are you being serious? I am being totally serious with you. Yeah. Oh, dude, well, then either move out here or move to Phoenix, Arizona. You know, move to Scottsdale, and you got Ooh. you got just heat all year round. Maybe there's a happy oh. medium somewhere. Oh, yeah, no. No? <laughs> well, I've actually come to realize that there are seasons out here, since they're a lot more subtle. Right. Yeah. See, you know. I would like summer weather during Christmas. That would be awesome. You could, you could uh, open presents with the family and go out for a swim or something. Well, <laughs> you, you got it here. You know, I mean, to, you know, being, you know, 72 degree weather on New Year's Day is pretty, pretty crazy. Wow. I can't imagine. The AC is always on, isn't it? Actually not this time of year. Absolutely. Yeah. But but when things will start to cool down in October, uh, then no, then we can cut the AC off. There you go. And, and it's and it's pretty, pretty, pretty nice um, most of the year, I got to say. Be it'd be hard to move away from SoCal. Yeah, I, I can't imagine wanting to come back to snow after <laughs> after all that. But it was it was still very exciting to find out you were a, a Cleveland native. Yeah, I, I love Cleveland. And Jack, you're from up around that area, right? Youngstown. Youngstown. Oh, hey, hey. All right, yeah. you and Jim Cummings. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Uh, did you uh, were you a frequent visitor of like uh, Putin Bay or the Hall of Fame or anything like that? Don't forget, I moved out here long before the Hall of Fame was in. And oh, really. They didn't put that in until that was like the nineties or something like that, wasn't it? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it hasn't yeah. been there for a long time. Oh, okay. Well, how about Putin yeah. Bay? Yeah, I went to Putin Bay. We used to, you know, go out to Willoughby, out of Hudson, out, you know, out east, um, Chagrin Falls. We used to go to all the time. I grew up in Cleveland Heights ever since I was seven, and then moved out here when I was thirty. So, I mean, Cleveland really is my hometown. Sure. And uh, went to high school there, and then came out to Colorado for college, but. Uh, you know, got married there, had uh, three of my four kids there, and was on the radio there for 10 years. Um, well, mostly in Cleveland uh, from 75 until, or I guess late 74, yeah, 75 until um, mid-84, except for 78. And I spent uh, 1978 in Akron at uh, a radio station down there, WCUE. I did morning drive down there for a year. But never moved down there. I just, I still lived in Cleveland. I just commuted down there every morning. No, it's not too bad drive. Yeah, no, it wasn't bad. As I recall, it was about, you know, a 40 minute drive, you know, typically. But if it was, um, if it was bad weather, gosh, it could take me two hours. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So in the winter, I remember the winter of 78, it was, it was pretty brutal, you know, like in February and, ooh. Yeah, was that getting, the year of the big blizzard? Uh, you I, don't, I don't recall. Sunny. I just remember there being a lot of snow that year. And that was a year <laughs> in March that my oldest son was born. Yeah, and uh, I actually enjoyed that radio station for a while. But then at the at the end of 78, I had gotten a um, an offer to be on a, a big uh, FM rock station up in Cleveland, uh, G98. And I couldn't take it because I had this non-compete clause in my contract with the radio station in Akron. And the only way I could get out of it is get myself fired. So I ended up just starting to show up late for work, you know, on a regular basis. And they knew what I was doing, but they finally 
<laughs> you know, couldn't put up with it any longer. And they said, fine, just go. And they fired me. I would love to be in that scenario. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. You could get really yeah, creative was, with that. But yeah. It was, it was kind of a pain. Well, what was, what was interesting was they had, they didn't have a DJ on overnight. They had an automation machine oh. just, you know, running tunes all night long with liners. And then I came on, uh, at six in the morning and shut off the automation and went live and uh, and so if I didn't show up at six o'clock, the automation just kept going, you know, into morning drive, which made them crazy, you know, you know, because the the ads weren't getting run and the and the, you know, the right music wasn't getting played, and worse, there was just no personality on the radio, you know, so sure. they're just making them crazy. So, so it didn't take long for me to <laughs> kind of kind of drive that wedge in, and then they, you know, finally gave me the boot. What kind of music did you play at? Uh, what was it? Uh, WGCL? Uh, G- yeah, WGCL was G98, right? Yeah, it was all just straight ahead rock and roll. Nice. You know, the top 40, the hits. Same in Akron, too. It was uh, it was an AM top 40 station. And it was actually a lot of fun. I can uh, imagine. Yeah. So did you provide any uh, voice characters on the radio stations? Yeah. Did you? Yeah, not so much on G98. G98 was, I mean, because I did middays there uh, and uh, and then also vacation fill-in for jocks, you know, when they go on break. And, um, so I wasn't really so much a, it was, the, they had a morning guy named Phil Gardner uh, there back then. And, uh, and I was a big fan of Phil's too. And Phil did a lot of characters. The characters w- were... In, in the morning drive slide. Now, when I was in Akron and doing morning drive down there, yeah, I had the freedom to do that. I did a lot of characters down there. Right, that'd be really cool. Just mm-hmm. the freedom to do whatever you want. Yeah, now, pretty much. Before you got into voice acting, you were wanting to be like a TV and uh, film actor, right? Yes, uh, in a manner of speaking, I, because I had been acting since... Uh, I, I, I wanted, ever since fourth grade when I went and saw a production of Peter Pan... Uh, over in like South Euclid, I, I wanted to, I wanted to be an actor. Right. And so I grew up doing that, you know, and, and so when I was in junior high, I got into my first play and did, did theater all through high school and, um, wanted to become a theater major in college, but my mom wouldn't let me cause she said, if I'm going to pay for college, you got to go study something that you can get a job in. <laughs> so so the only thing that I could think to do other than acting, you know, that I had any interest in remotely was architecture. So I, so I got into the architecture school at University of Colorado in Boulder and um, ostensibly went out there to, to, you know, study to be an architect. And that lasted about two minutes. <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm just like a, a terrible student. And so to have this eight o'clock calculus class for architecture, I realized real fast that this was right. not going to not going to be my cup of tea. And uh, <laughs> and so I ended up, you know, quitting that and becoming a theater major anyway and getting real involved in the theater department over at uh, uh, CU um, Boulder there on campus. And that was that. So but your question was. I guess, uh, how, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> Just that you uh, you were aspiring to be uh, more An TV actor. and film acting rather than voice acting originally. Yeah, yeah. And so what I was going to say is that is that I, I wanted to be an actor ever since I was a kid, and 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 did that through high school and into college and stuff. But when I was at University of Colorado uh, there in Boulder, I had also had a great interest in radio. And my dad had been on the radio in Denver years earlier, and 
And I always had this thing that I was always fascinated by voices and fascinated by voice a- acting. I didn't think of it as voice acting by them, but 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 my dad used to be real into um, like old radio dramas and uh, and uh, and comedy albums, you know, with the uh, Bill Cosby and Tom Lehrer and oh, yeah. uh, Stan Freeberg and and all that. Kind. So I grew up listening to this stuff. So I had a great appreciation for 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 voices and 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 what voices could do in terms of uh, stirring the imagination. And so when I was, uh, at, on, on campus there in Boulder in, uh, in the early seventies, I, I thought, well, actually b- before that, when I was still in high school in Cleveland, I had as a, a special project in, I, I have to say I was probably 10th or maybe 11th grade. Maybe I was a junior. The school that I went to had this, this cool thing. They had one of the very first Sony Reel-to-reel. It was a black and white reel-to-reel video tape recorder, oh, wow. and this this box weighed about forty pounds. And and it was this, before they had cassettes, so this was a reel-to-reel tape, half-inch tape, black and white video recorder. And we as students could check this thing out as if you were checking a book out of a library. You could borrow this thing, sign it out, and go do a project with it. So what I did was I arranged with one of the big top 40 stations in Cleveland in, I want to say, probably 1970, maybe 71, um, Wixie 1260. Went down to um, Wixie with this video tape recorder, and I rec- I interviewed one of the jocks, a guy named Chuck Dunaway, while he was on the air uh, middays. And I, I mean, I tell you, I wish it. I wish to God I had that videotape now because it would be gold. Right. But that was back in the days when, you know, I mean, I remember when I was, you know, 12 years old, 13 years old uh, in, in 19, um, you know, 66, 67 in there, uh, 68, 14 years old, listening to the radio. And Wixie was like the big radio station to listen to. And, and so when I was in high school and got to go down there, it was like a dream come true. And so I always had this interest in radio and thought being a DJ would be just like the coolest thing on the planet. So when I was in college, I had the foresight to go down to Denver and get my third class FCC license, which I had to have back then. And um, thinking that I might want to get on the radio someday. Well, as it turned out, I quit college after a year and a half, went home and uh, back to Cleveland and got married in the fall of 74. And then in, in 75, about probably six or eight months later, um, Gosh, now that I think about it, it's been like exactly 40 years ago that I got my first job on the radio. As it turned out, my wife's um, brother-in-law was working at a little radio station out in uh, Willoughby. And he had been out there and had gotten a job at a big radio station in Cleveland and uh, was was working there. I'd, he'd been there maybe a year and they were changing formats and they were all getting fired. And he told me that that they were going to be hiring inexperienced people cheap because it was just a beautiful music station. They didn't want personalities. They didn't need any. They just needed guys to basically run the run right. the board and just say, you know, give the time and temp on the quarter hour. So I went and applied for the job, and I got this job with no experience. <laughs> and <laughs> so they hired me, and so I so I so I did this um, thing for maybe close to a year, and uh, it was weekends at first, just part time, and then they hired me full time. I was midnight to six, you know, the graveyard shift. But it got me into radio, right. and then they fired me. And I ended up putting together a little dummy uh, tape, uh, you know, an air check because you couldn't make an air check at this radio station. There was you weren't doing anything, you know. So 
So I dummied up an air check for another radio station in Cleveland that was a that was um, a disco station in 1976, and I got a job. They hired me midnight to six, also, and that lasted a couple of months. And then they put me on seven to midnight, and that lasted a couple of months. And then they gave me morning drive, and I did morning drive for about a year at this radio station. Um, it was Disco 92, W L Y T, and so then I, I so I did that for a while, and uh, and 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 that's when I started doing some local theater in Cleveland, some community theater, and. Uh, and then, and then I quit that radio station, went down to the station in Akron, uh, spent 1978 down there doing morning drive at that little AM Top 40 station. Uh, and, and, and then, uh, like I was saying earlier, it's when I went up to Cleveland to G98, and then G98 lasted for 79, and then I went from that station to Zip 106, uh, another sort of soft rock station in Cleveland. Wow. Um, yeah, and I stayed there for the rest of my radio career, which was about four and a half years, and then finally quit in like June of 84. Um, yeah. So I was on the air for about 10 years in, in the Cleveland area. Uh, and, but during that whole time it's, but I was doing, I was doing increasingly more theater. Uh, each year I was doing more shows and, and uh, getting real involved in local community theater and some professional theater and did some musicals and got my equity card. And, and, um, but at the same time, I was also production director at a couple of the radio stations that I was at. And so I was doing a lot of commercials, and that's what gave me the notion to start doing pursuing voiceover in Cleveland because I realized there was a, a little money to be made at it there, and, um, and so I put together a demo tape and, and you know peddled it around to the local ad agencies there, and and uh, started working. And by '84, um, I was making more money a year doing freelance voiceover work than I was at the radio station, which is what prompted me to finally quit radio. And just pursue the voiceover thing. So, so by the time I, I, I turned 30 in May of 84, quit the radio station a couple of weeks later, um, planning on just staying in Cleveland, I got a call from my uh, landlord saying that uh, the house that we had been renting uh, was being sold and we had to be out by the end of September of 84. This was in like July of 84. And I oh. thought... Well, this is insane. I've got to be some play. I, I can't wait till the end of September. I got to be settled someplace before school starts for my kids. Right. So I really had to hop on it. And that's when I thought, you know what? I'm, I, I just turned 30. I'm not in radio anymore. I've got nothing tying me here to Cleveland any longer. And coincidentally, at the same time, I also had a couple of friends who were encouraging me to move to L.A., which is something that I had given some thought to, but not really seriously. Well, now that I didn't have anything tying me down in Cleveland, I thought, you know what? If ever I'm going to give it a shot, now is the time to go. So I talked to my wife about it. I, you know, she said she was all for it, and she you know, said, yeah, let's, let's look at it. And so I came out here right after the Olympics in 84 um, just to look around, see if I could find a little place to live. I found a place to rent. And here in Glendale, and two weeks later, literally two weeks later, we were pulling in right after Labor Day of 84. Uh, and insane. And, I can't believe you got that all together in two months. It took well, me like six months to get my mentality <laughs> around, you know. Well, again, like I said, if I hadn't gotten that call from the landlord saying uh, the house is being sold and I didn't have to make a physical move and, 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 and quickly, um, I don't know that I ever would have moved out here. You know, because wow. I was I was happy enough in Cleveland. I didn't want to do radio anymore, but you know, the voiceover stuff was going well, and you know, my wife's family was all from there. And um, even though I didn't have any family 
it left in Cleveland at that point, I still, I still could consider Cleveland home, you know? Sure. And so I, I wasn't really itching to move that badly, but because I had to make a physical move anyway, I thought, boy, if I don't do this now, I know I'm going to look back on this moment in time and regret it if I don't at least take a shot at it. So it, you know, when you get that mindset, it's like, it's it's like sort of the fight or flight instinct, you know. It's like do or die now. It's like you got to move now. You you can't like sit around and think about it, and wait for something to happen. It's just like you just go and hope that you know you're making some some good steps and right. you know and it turns out okay. And I got really lucky and it turned out okay. That's that's incredible. So a landlord's decision. Had he not <laughs> made have, that decision, I, we would have I, a. Funny sounding Michelangelo and Tick. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, it, it certainly wouldn't have been me. You know, it would have been somebody else doing a fine job, I'm sure, but it just would have been different. Well, I'm kind of glad he kicked you out of your house. Mm -hmm. I'm sure yeah. you probably are too. <laughs> hey, you, yeah, you and me both, you know, because sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we're faced with situations where we can cut out on our own and we've got the sort of the, the, the emotional, mental, um, fortitude to to be able to strike on our you know the um the guts to just go and do it and sometimes we don't sometimes it takes you know an external force to kick you out of the nest and right. in that case at that moment it it that's kind of sort of what it took and i'm thankful for it because like i said had that not happened i you know who knows what would have happened you know you never know but sure but i just i, I just i just know that i wasn't dying to get out of cleveland you know i was you know, satisfied enough where I was doing what I was doing that, you know, I, I could have stayed. Right. So, you know, but because we had to pack the whole house up and, you know, try and find a place to live anyway, I thought, why not go now? So exactly. Seize the moment. It, yeah. 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 So once you got out to California, then like how soon before you uh, got your, well, I think your first gig was Inspector Gadget, uh, Corporal Cape Man, is that correct? Yeah, well, for my first animation gig, yeah, um, it wasn't my first gig, but because you got to understand that I didn't come out here to, 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 to voice act. You know, I happened to do a lot of voiceover in Cleveland, but it was all commercial. And I, and I was doing in on camera industrials as well. I was doing theater. I was doing radio. You know, I had done some, you know, like I was saying earlier, I'd done radio just as sort of a straight jock and, and, and some as a morning guy doing characters, you know. But I didn't, but I didn't, I wasn't one of these kids who grew up, you know, reading a ton of comic books, watching a ton of cartoons, you know, dying to get out to Hollywood to be a cartoon voice actor. That just was not my mentality it wasn't it wasn't in my thinking you know I right. did want to be an actor and and I had actually in 1979 after I quit uh, WGCL I actually made a stab at moving to New York and it was sort of ill-advised and I had my my two older kids were very young at the time and I, I was staying with my aunt in Connecticut and just going into the city during the day doing auditions and and interviews and stuff and it just it wasn't the right timing and it wasn't gelling and so I pursued that. I, I, I can't say I even pursued it. I just, you know, dipped my toe in the water for really just a couple of weeks and then ended up going back to Cleveland and getting back on the radio at uh, that last station that I was at. Um, so I had so I had been wanting to make a break for one of the coasts. And I had thought that it would be New York because 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 I really did sort of want to pursue the acting thing. And I then I kept thinking, well, that means Broadway. 
you know. Um, and if I do want to pursue an on-camera thing, well, then that would probably be uh, California, that'd be LA. So, so when I came out here, I came out with the idea that I was going to pursue TV and film. I, I didn't come out thinking I was going to pursue voiceover. Now, the voiceover thing, I knew that I had a really good demo tape when I came out here. Um, and that I could probably get some voiceover work, you know, doing commercials and such, um, you know, just to sort of tide me over. Cause I really wasn't keen on the idea of, of selling cars or, you know, waiting tables or oh, that yeah. kind of thing. So I thought, you know, if I could just make some money doing some voiceover work on the side to tide me over while I try and get my theatrical career off the ground, that'd be a, that'd be a great thing, you know? So that's how I was sort of positioning the, the voiceover thing in my, in my mind. And then, and then I thought, well, and I can also, you know, pursue on-camera commercials because I was doing a lot of that back in Cleveland as well. And I thought, you know, and I'll also pursue some theater. I mean, I came out here thinking, you know, I'll, I'll try it all. But cartoons, doing cartoon voices was not on my radar, right. strangely enough. And so when I came out here, I, like I said, I pulled in, you know, just a couple of days after Labor Day of 84. And, you know, within a week or two, I, I, I only knew... I basically only knew two people out here, three people, but 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 only one who had any connections with agents that could get me in to see agents. And she was a gal that I had done some uh, children's theater with back in Cleveland. And she was living out here and and she and her husband were both professional actors and they were each with uh, their respective commercial agencies. And so she got me an interview with her commercial agent. And he got me an interview with his commercial agent. And so I went and I met with these two agents over the course of the, like, within two weeks of moving here. And the first one that I went to see, they they looked at my picture and resume and my composite and said, yeah, uh, yeah we'd be interested in, in, in handling it. And I thought, well, this is cool. And then he looked at my resume and saw that I had done a bunch of voiceover work. And the thing is, I had purposely left off my resume that I'd been on the radio because I didn't want to come out here. A, I had made a commitment to not ever get back on the radio again because I thought if I go for trying to get a radio job out here, if I'm lucky enough to get a radio job out here, I'll probably get comfortable doing that and then never get off the radio. Right. And if, if that happens... I don't know what will inspire me then to quit radio again to go then really pursue the acting thing. So I thought better just not to get on the radio again. And, and, and that way, then I'm, I'm going to have to really force myself to, to, you know, put all my energies and focus in, in, into, into acting. So that was one reason. The other reason was because I recognized also that there's this real stigma of, at least in casting people's minds, of radio people. They see them as announcers and they see them as disc jockeys. And I thought, well, if I'm on the radio and they know that I'm a DJ and I'm a, a known local quantity, then if I, if I go out on, if I can get auditions, all the, I'm, the only auditions I'm ever going to get are going to be for DJs and announcers and TV hosts and that kind of thing. And I thought, that's not what I want. Right. You know, so I didn't want to limit myself right off the bat by doing that. So, so I felt the the best way to avoid that was just not to get on the radio at all. So I took it off my resume. I didn't even put it on my resume that I'd been on the radio, um, but that I'd done a lot of voiceover work. So, so this uh, on camera agent at this uh, agency that I was meeting with, he said, "I see that you've done voiceover work. Do you have a tape?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, our agent's not here right now, but why don't you leave it with me, and I'll make sure he listens to it." 
when he gets back. And I said, great. So I did. And that was that. And then I left and I was on my way home. By the time I got home from that meeting, the voice agent had come back uh, from lunch or wherever, had listened to the tape, liked what he heard, and had called and left a message on my, my answering machine. In essence, saying, I listened to your tape. I loved it. Whatever you do, don't sign with anybody until you come back and talk to me and come back and, and, and we, we can, we can meet and, and talk. And I'm like, wow. Okay, cool. So I called him back and, uh, ended up going back the next day, meeting with him and, um, ended up signing with him. And, and so he ended up becoming my voice agent. Uh, he's my voice agent to this day. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> Now there was a there was a, a break of a couple of years in there when he actually went on to start the commercial department with a, another. Uh, his name's Jeff Danis, and 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 uh, there was a guy named Bob Colvin at the time who was a, a big had his own agency, and and so Jeff and Bob went to start the commercial department and uh, voiceover department at ICM, a huge agency here in town, and that was back in the fall in the late fall, right at the very end of '84. And so I ended up staying with the little agency that Jeff had been with that I had signed with uh, for four years because they were getting me a lot of on-camera commercial work and and a lot of voiceover work. And uh, other ones that actually ended up getting me the audition for Inspector Gadget six months later. Oh, so, wow. uh, yeah, but uh, but then I ended up going over to ICM uh, in 88 and I've been with Jeff uh, ever since. So, um, yeah, so, I, you know, how do you how do you how do you calculate these things? How do you, you know, how do you explain <laughs> that, you know, you're able to, you know, get your first agent, you know, within a couple of weeks of moving here and, you know, he ends up remaining your agent to this day. And, you know, you sort of, it's, it's hard to look back on this and, and I go, well, I don't necessarily believe in coincidences, but there are a lot of things that sort of lined up serendipitously that are difficult to explain. Right. And, you know, it, it's like all the biggest things that have happened to me in my career have all come out of these sort of seemingly at the time insignificant uh, circumstances that ended up being hugely serendipitous and significant. You know, so so, you know, so so all the. All that to say, I mean, I, obviously, I'm. Uh, you tell me to shut up if you want. Oh, to no, quit. we're hanging on your every word here. Quit, quit, quit yammering here. But um, <laughs> so then, so it was six months later then that I got this audition for Inspector Gadget. You know, so I didn't come out here to do cartoons. Cartoons, I, I kind of stumbled into them, you know, because it was just one more avenue of work that my voice agent was you know, pursuing for, you know, sending me out on because they were getting these auditions. And they said, you know, why don't you go try this? And I thought, yeah, why don't I go try that? that that's fun. You know, I used to do some characters on the radio and, you know, I've done a lot of voiceover stuff and I'm an actor and, you know, how right. hard could it be? <laughs> you know, well, little did I real, little did I really, let me tell you, ignorance really was bliss for me because had I known the, the caliber of the, the, the talent and 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 the guys and the women who who populate this business specifically animation um, back then I don't I think I probably would have chickened out I probably would have been too scared to even go try I would have said well, well, that that's not me I, I I can't do that that you know they're they they're the ones who do all that stuff and you know I would have talked myself out of it right and um, but I didn't know. And so I, it, to me, it was just, it sounded like it was fun. It sounded like a lark. And it was, uh, 
you know, just another opportunity to go, you know, um, put yourself out there and, and, and have fun. And, and in the right situation, I can be very competitive. Uh, in other situations, I can sort of, you know, curl up and die and, and shoot myself in the foot. But back in those days, it was, it was, uh, it was great because, because I was going after anything that they were throwing my way. And I thought, you know, th this will be fun. Now, I will say, as I've said many times before in lots of other interviews, but, but it bears repeating because I think it's so significant. And it's also a good point for people who are thinking about maybe getting into this business or other actors is that the day that I went on this audition for Inspector Gadget, I had happened to, I uh, had a couple of auditions for an on-camera commercial for Kraft Barbecue Sauce. And the, and the character that I was to be portraying in this uh, on-camera commercial was of a sort of a Jimmy Olsen-type reporter character with, you know, like a sweater vest and bow tie and, you know, big round glasses and, sure. you know, hair parted in the middle, you know, this really sort of geeky, over-the-top character. Well, the day that I was going on this audition for Gadget, I, w I had just had my, it was, I think it was my second callback for this Kraft barbecue sauce commercial. And I knew that I had nailed it. I felt so confident and so good about this audition that when I went out of there, it was just this feeling that as an actor, you just go, I know I got it. I know I got that. It's just like, I couldn't have felt better about that, how that audition went. And when you have that feeling as with anything else, else in life, you know, you feel carefree and you're flying higher than a kite. And, and so I left that audition, had to go straight from there over to this audition for Inspector Gadget. Well, by the time I got over to Deke and met Marsha Goodman, the gal who was casting and directing, voice directing uh, Gadget, um, I just wasn't thinking about it. It was like just another fun thing to do, right. you know? And so she was delightful and she showed me a picture of the character and I looked at it and immediately I thought, I know what that guy sounds like. And I read a little description of him and, and, and the sample lines. And she says, so let me hear what you got. What do you think? And, and so I just did the first thing that, you know, came to my mind and she laughed. You know, and as an actor, of course, that's always a good sign. And, exactly. and, and so you so it's like, you know, it's like a pat on the back. You want to keep going. And so well, they like that. You know, now I got the freedom to sort of, you know, loosen up and try more. And so together, the two of us, we talked about it and played with it. And she made some suggestions. And I listened to her, her, her suggestions and tried some other things. And, and that was that it was sort of very, very simple and delightful process that day. And I left there feeling very good about that audition. And a couple of days later, got the call from my agent that I'd gotten the part. I thought, wow, how, how fun is this? Who, you know, who'd have thunk? You know, six months earlier, I was just moving here from Cleveland, Ohio. You know, a, a year, not even a year or nine months earlier, I was on the radio in Cleveland, you know, dying to get off the radio and quit and do something else and, you know, now here I am living in LA, booking jobs, and and now I'm going to be on a cartoon series. Well, about ten days earlier, I had done my first little part in a movie with Tommy Lee Jones. I it was just a two night shoot. I was playing the part of a waiter. I only had like two lines. I was terrible in it, but it was a great experience. And I actually got my, the scene that I had was actually with Tommy Lee Jones. So that was 10 days earlier. That was in, uh, that was Black Moon Rising, correct? 
Black Moon Rising, yeah. So it, that had to been really surreal going out there and, uh, you know, one of your first on-screen gigs being there with Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know, and, and then, you know, a, a week later, I, I get this on-camera, you know, um, oh, so, so I ended up booking that on-camera commercial for, for Kraft Barbecue Sauce and Inspector Gadget. So within 10 days, I booked these three gigs, these, my first little partner movie, my first on-camera national network TV commercial, and my first cartoon series. And That's incredible. Yeah, and I was just like shaking my head going, wow, this is nuts. I mean, I never would have imagined that this could have happened like this, but here it was happening, and I couldn't deny it. And so the summer of 85 for me was just a terrific summer because I was doing, you know, I, I did the last 10 episodes of Inspector Gadget. And so the way they were doing those, we did all 10 of those episodes in the span of maybe six weeks. I want to, I'm, guess, I'm guessing you're two months, something like that. So, so in March and April and May of 85, and then that crap barbecue sauce commercial is running like crazy on network TV. Um, and then Black Moon Rising comes out sometime, you know, later either that year or the following in 86 sometime. And, and, uh, and then I started booking more gigs. I, you know, I was looking back at my date book from 85, from 30 years ago, uh, not too long ago. And I was seeing all these other gigs that I was, that I was starting to book. And, uh, and it was just a, a really great year. It was a time of great energy for me and, and great positivity and, and synchronicity. It just seemed like so many things were just sort of falling into place uh, kind of magically, you know, and, right. and, uh, the stars it was, have aligned. Yeah, it was, it was really wonderful, you know. And so, and so I was, you know, very, very excited about all that stuff. So that's how how the the cartoon thing ended up coming around, you know. But um, right. but once I started doing it, and I went to my well, when I got that first that booking for that first session for Gadget, I went over to B and B Sound in Burbank, and I'm sitting there in the studio, and there's just four of us in the studio. There's Maurice Lamarche. And it was his first uh, um, animated series also. Then there's Frank Welker. Um, and then there's me. And then there's Don Adams in, in that order. And so Frank was sitting on my left and Don Adams was sitting on my right. And I'm and, and, and then Mo was down on, on Frank's left. And, and we were each sitting at our own little copy stands with our own mic and and I'd never done this before, so I was sort of taking my cues from how they were doing it, and I saw that they were looking through their scripts and, and circling their lines, and so I thought, well, I'll do that too, and so I'm circling my lines, and <laughs> I'm just thinking all I got to do is uh, just, you know, all I got to do is just concentrate on doing the character that Marsha laughed at when we did the audition a couple of days ago, and and when I see my line come up, I just, I just do it. <laughs> right. I mean, I figured that's how this has got to work, right? And but the curious thing uh, uh, for me then was because I was familiar with the series because my kids used to watch it when we were even when we were back in Ohio before we'd even moved out here. And and I remember hearing it on in the background and and hearing whenever I'd hear this Dr. Claw character trying to envision this actor who was doing this voice because he must have been huge. He's like, a, you know, 11 feet tall, 900 pounds, <laughs> you know, with this huge voice. And, you know, I looked at Mo and I thought, well, it's not him. I looked at Frank and I thought, it's not him. And I know it's not Don Adams. So I figured it was just some other actor that wasn't there at the session that day and they were going to pick him up, you know, by himself another time. Right. So I'm, as I'm circling my lines, I see that there's a, a couple lines for, you know, Dr. Claw coming up in this episode. 
And I thought, well, when we record it, we'll just skip over those lines. So we start to do the rehearsal, a read-through, and we get to that first Dr. Claw line, and I'm thinking we're just going to skip over to the next line, and all of a sudden, Frank opens his mouth. Now, he's sitting right next to me on my left, and out comes this Dr. Claw voice, and I just about wet myself. I, I just, I just, I smacked my, you know, hand over my mouth, and I went, "Oh my God, that's you!" And he stopped, and he looked at me, and he smiled, and he, he just started sort of laughing. He nodded his head. Says, that's, it's me. Wow. <laughs> just, that was that was my real introduction to uh, Frank Welker, for sure. And his brilliance, uh, but also into this whole, you know, wacky world of of uh, animation and, and, and cartoon voices. It's just like, boy, was, what an experience that was, what an education that was, and what an, an eye-opening uh, revelation it was, you know. Exactly, I saw the stuff yeah. that Maurice LaMarche was doing and all the various, you know, characters that he was pulling out of himself. And that Frank, of course, then went on to do, you know, he was doing the cat, mad cat, and then dog, brain the dog, and you know, all these other little characters and stuff. And I just shook my head and inside I'm going, boy, I don't know. This, this is a lot of fun, but I don't know that I got those kind of chops. This is, this is, this is, this is tricky. Right. right. But I, but I had so much fun doing it. I, I said to my agents, you know, please send me out more of these kinds of auditions and these opportunities. Cause, cause I'd like to, I'd like to see, you know, see, you know, what I could do in this. This is that I never even thought about doing this, but now that I'm doing it, I'd like to do more of it. So, and you did do a lot more of it too. I mean, like what Waldo and Where's Waldo? Wayne Gretzky on Pro Stars. Boy, that yeah. was a fun show to watch. Uh, Riot yeah. on Gem. Uh, Scott Howard, Teen Wolf, uh, Gobo on Fraggle Rock. These are just a few of the characters you've been. Uh, boy, you've been having some fun over the years. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I'll be the first to admit, as pretty much any of us, you know, have been lucky enough to do this for a living um we've got the best job on the planet you know we're the luckiest folks on the planet to be able to to be able to have fun like this and and you know make a living at it and and have and have people love what you do and appreciate what you do now i will say that i'm not so sure people loved what i did on gadget because i came to find out years later in fact not too long ago that that corporal cape man the character that i did on that was sort of roundly hated (laughs) 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 which i never knew which i never knew at the time but but uh come to find out with the internet you can find out all kinds of things yeah and uh, and and fans seem to, to hate that character but uh but oh. hey, it got me started, and and don't get me started. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so then down the road, how do, how does uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles come into play in 1987? Had you ever heard of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles prior, or how how did that come to be? Nope. Yeah, no, never heard of it. I was doing uh, Fraggle Rock at the time. Now it was the animated version for NBC that that we were doing. Because Fraggle Rock had already been on the air as the you know the live action Muppet version, right? Um, but but uh, Margaret Lesh, who was working for Henson at the time, uh, and went on years later to to uh, uh, develop uh, Fox Kids and the Hub and and um, and I want to say uh, the uh, animation department at uh, Marvel, um, just a real industry. Um, powerhouse margaret at the time was was working for henson and came up with this idea for a a show called muppet babies which they went on to develop and became successful so she also came up she convinced jim henson to do an animated version of fraggle rock 
which they pitched to Brandon Tartikoff at NBC. He bought it, and so that was off and running. Well, it turned out, as I understand, that the that the guys who originally did the voices for Fraggle Rock on the, on the um, uh, live-action version um, weren't interested in doing it for the cartoon, so, so they were casting voice matches for this. Now, I'd never done a voice match in my life, and, and, and I mean to speak of, and certainly not professionally, and, and, and was not and still am not an impressionist, uh, uh, not a particularly good mimicker, you know, um, I'm not an improv uh, actor, you know, like so many of these guys who populate this industry now and who are so good at that. But, but I got called for an audition for it, and I thought, well, you know what? Don't chicken out. Just go for it. And so I picked a couple of the characters that I thought I could kind of get close to, and I listened to them because they gave us voice references on cassette. And, and so I uh, took a whack at Gobo. I took a whack at a couple of the characters, but I ended up getting cast as Gobo, and which I was thrilled about, but I was also terrified by because I thought, what if I can't keep this... Because it's one thing to be able to to mimic a character; it's another thing altogether to act that character. Oh yeah! Not only keep the voice going, but be be able to act it and keep the voice going, you know, and all make it very organic and natural. So, so I thought, well, I could kind of mimic the character, just like I thought I used to be able to mimic Kermit the Frog until I auditioned for Muppet Babies, and <laughs> that was an unmitigated disaster. Um, <laughs> And, and, uh, but so I ended up getting it and, uh, it worked out. Okay. This back, you know, when we had, you know, the Sony Walkman and I had my, my oh, voice yeah. references, uh, from the original on cassette and my little earbuds. And I would listen to those over and over and over during the sessions to, we had to, you know, a couple little catchphrase lines that would lock me into the voice. And, and so that's how I learned to do that. So, so I was working on Fraggle Rock at the time and we had some great folks on that show. Of course, Robbie Paulson was, was on that. He was Boober and Bob Bergen was Wembley and Mona Marshall was Moki and uh, Barbara Goodson was, uh, Red, um, Pat Pinney was, do, um, doing, uh, uh, oh, who was he doing? He was doing, I think the doc and, uh, and Michael Askin was doing Junior Gorg. There were, um, uh, uh, John Stevenson w- was on it. I mean, there were just, there's so many great, right. great actors on that show at the time. And, and so we were doing that. And during one of the sessions, the recording sessions for Fraggle Rock, Stu Rosen, the uh, voice director, came in one day and said, hey, you guys aren't, aren't going to believe what I'm going to be casting and directing next. And he opens his briefcase and pulls out a copy of a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic book. We all looked at that, and and I, we, I mean, I laughed, and I thought, <laughs> what? You know, because this is back in the days of, you know, My Little Pony and sure. Strawberry Shortcake and, and Rainbow Bright and those sorts of things. It's not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And and so, you know, I I, I kind of, you know, snickered and, and thought, well, I can't imagine this thing being successful, but who knows, you know, crazier things have happened. And he said, yeah, I'll bring you guys in. We'll audition, have fun with this and stuff. Well, he did bring us in, and um, and Rob and I ended up, uh, you know, getting parts on it. And it was, I mean, there was nothing, you know, big or huge or special about the audition for that, except for the fact that I think they brought in, you know, pretty much everybody in town for it. Oh, wow. And I, I remember reading, I think all of us read for all the Turtles, and, uh, you know, you read for as many parts as, as you, you know, felt you were, you know, 
you could you could do and um and then they'd whittle it down and call you back for whatever they thought you know you'd be right for and 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 i ended up booking it uh, with rob and and barry and cam and um as the four turtles and and i remember going into that first session again over at bnb sound in in burbank uh which is sort of the big animation studio back in those days and and uh, they, 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 they knew that uh, Rob was going to be Raphael and they knew that uh, Barry was going to be Donatello, but they hadn't decided whether uh, Cam or I were going to be Michelangelo uh, and Leonardo, respectively. So, so they were just going to make up their minds at that session. Now, what we were there to record were, was just this five-part, this five-episode miniseries that was the, essentially the pilot that was going to air over the course of five days. And, and then from that, they were hoping to sell the show and get it picked up. And, uh, and so we were there to record our first episode and, and, uh, and they, then Stu just, you know, arbitrarily said, you know, Townsend, why don't you do uh, Michelangelo first uh, cam you do Leonardo first, and then we'll do a read through like that. And then we'll go back on a second read through second pass. We'll, we'll have just have you switch. And we said, great, okay, so that was that. So it was just, you know, again, sort of dumb luck, kind of luck of the draw, that that Stu had me do Michelangelo first, because at the end of that first read-through, that first pass, um, when we went in to go do the second pass, mm-hmm. I said, do you want us to switch? And he was very distracted with other things that they were, you know, concentrating on regarding the recording of the episode. He said, no, 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 just leave it the way it is right now. We'll worry about it later. As if we were going to consider switching parts again later at another time, maybe in the next episode or something. I don't know. Huh. But the point is, is that for that second read through, he just had me stay as Michelangelo and had Cam stay as Leonardo. And that's the way it ended up staying for, you know, 10 seasons. <laughs> wow. And so, you know, so I mean, I, I could just as easily have ended up being Leonardo and Cam, you know, be Michelangelo. If it had, if it stewed that very first day at B and B had said, you know, Cam, why don't you take uh, Michelangelo first? Uh, Tony, you do Leonardo, and then we'll switch after the after the first pass. And we would have said fine. And then at the end of the first pass, they would have said, no, you know, no, 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 no just leave it the way it is. Cam, you you stay Michelangelo, and Tony, you do you can stay Leonardo. We'll worry about it later. You know, and then I would end up being Leonardo for. 10 years. Thank God yeah. you were Michelangelo, though. Yeah. I mean, you're the well, perfect Mikey. <laughs> well, no, thanks, dude. You know, which is not to say that, you know, had Cam not been Michelangelo, that he wouldn't have been a perfect Michelangelo because you never would have known. Well, this it, is true. Any, any other way. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like, uh, you know, you look back and you go, well, what would have happened if, well, you don't know. It's like me saying, well, what would have happened if, you know, that my landlord hadn't called and, and sold the house? You know, would I have never moved to California? No way yeah. of knowing. You know, it True. didn't happen that way. So, so, but I appreciate you saying that. Uh, it was certainly was a fun, fun character to play for all those years. So, did you have a voice already lined up for uh, what you were going to do for Leonardo? And if so, do you remember that voice at all? You know, he was he was as I re- recall, he was just described as uh, a straight shooter, um, uh, leader of the pack. Um, you know, strong uh, leader characteristics. And so I just sort of had kind of what I thought of as my sort of just strong, straight ahead, young leader voice. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I wasn't thinking of anybody in particular. So in terms of having a voice reference, 
in my head, no, I didn't. It would have just been me, you know, doing uh, kind of kind of a straight ahead, you know. We've got to do something. Oh man! <laughs> I, I say that only because that ended up being a line that Cam had to do over and over and over again as Leonardo. It seems like Leonardo was always saying, "We've got to do something." You right. know, the real, real straight ahead. You know, come on, guys. You know, we can't mess around. We've got to do something. We've got to do something. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we've got to do something, all right. Yeah, you tell them, Leonardo, we got to do something, all right. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. You go do something while we just sit back here and eat pizza. <laughs> oh, my God. The hair on my arm is standing up. That's amazing. We're talking to Mikey. Mikey? Yeah, dude. Whoa, wait, where? Who? <laughs> Oh, man. So then during your work on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 1994 came along The Tick. Indeed. And <laughs> <laughs> yes. Evildoer, wow. beware. You face The Tick. You may want to shield yourselves with your dessert menus. I might be dangerous. <laughs> oh, this is great. That's awesome. Hello, Reno. <laughs> 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 Don't cut your weasels before they pop, dink. Oh, hey, wait a sec. Hold on. So, oh, here, how about this? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the big 18-inch tick. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, man, we need one of those for in here. I've got one sitting at my, on my desk at home. Do you? Yeah, yeah but, but is, is, your, is, your, is yours, uh, does yours have a broken butt? Uh, as a matter of fact, it does. <laughs> oh, serious? Mm-hmm. I'm back. I got to put my backpack down. Your your butt is broken too. Yeah, it was in storage, and I, I maybe something was heavy sitting on top of it. But yeah, I pulled it out, and sure enough, his rear ends broke. Yeah, and and his like he he falls off his legs, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you got to like a... squeeze his butt back in. You got to squeeze his butt cheeks back into place, <laughs> and, and then and then stand him up real gingerly, and don't let don't let him fall over because if he does, his butt falls off again, and then he falls off his legs. <laughs> there should have been a uh, tick butt recall or something when those those guys came out. Yeah, I think that was going to be the first episode of season four. Oh, <laughs> just kidding! Actually, no. it would have made a fun episode. Yeah, it's That's something you would totally expect to see on the show. Yes, yeah, Acme what? butt parts. <laughs> 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 right. Oh, you're killing us here. Match- yes, yeah. cheeks matching halves. Hey, Arthur, look at my cheeks are matching. <laughs> my cheeks match. <laughs> All four of them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. This is when I have trouble walking after this. This is great. Oh, well, so it- that's what happens when your butt falls off. <laughs> you have trouble walking. Oh, touche. So how did you end up voicing the tick? Well, same way, you know, um, you, you pretty much audition for everything you get. So, so I, you know, got an audition for that, went and auditioned for it and didn't get it. And, uh, they recorded the first episode and, and, uh, and the, uh, the tick was uh, voiced by someone else and they ended up deciding that they, uh, wanted to recast. And so they brought in a couple of us who had auditioned the first time around and and so I auditioned again for it and ended up getting the second time around. 
And so ended up having to go in and because they'd already recorded that first episode, um, I, all they were replacing was Tick's lines, but because so many of his lines were with Arthur, uh, I had to do that first session uh, with Mickey Dolan's, just the two of us. Oh my! God. In the studio, yeah. So it was pretty crazy for me because back in uh, so so by that time in ninety, this was in uh, August of ninety three that I got that. Uh, actually, the uh, yeah, and so so I got that, and Screen Music was where um, we were recording a lot of our cartoons. Um, by then. And, and so I went to my first session over at Screen Music on Ventura Boulevard in Studio City. And, 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 uh, and there I am, it's just me in the studio with Mickey Dolenz. And I'd never met him before, but I knew that he did cartoons and stuff. But of course, I, I mean, I, it was everything I could do to, you know, keep from being a little fanboy here yeah, because, exactly. you know, yeah, when I was 14 years old and watching the monkeys in 1968, I was a huge fan of the monkey, huge fan of the monkeys, but not just a fan of the monkeys. I was a fan of Mickey Dolan's and it was Mickey who inspired me to want to become a drummer. Now, I will hasten to add that I never became a drummer <laughs> or, or anything even remotely close to it. I'm not a musician, but but I but I but I wanted to try. And so back when I was 14, I actually bought a little used drum, a Slingerland drum kit that was just cobbled together with some old Slingerland parts and like one tom and a snare and a bass drum and a cymbal and a hi-hat. And that was it. But I I got that because I wanted to be like Mickey Dolan's on the monkey. I wanted to be the drummer. And I thought it was the coolest thing. That and Three Dog Night became one of my favorite groups. And Floyd Sneed, the drummer in Three Dog Night, was, uh, I thought, the coolest cat on the planet back then. And so here, all these years later, in, in August of 93, I'm, I find myself in a studio with Mickey, not only with Mickey doing, you know, our characters, but Mickey is my sidekick. How surreal. I mean, talk yeah. about yeah. surreal. Oh, my gosh. I mean, my head was just spinning. And internally, you know, I'm this 14-year-old kid. Externally, I'm doing everything I can to keep it together and just go, Arthur's your sidekick. Arthur's your sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> A thing to see here that's just Mickey Dolan's. I just, Mickey Dolan's, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was pretty crazy. Um, oh, cool! So that's how that came about, you know. And we started doing the series. Mickey was great, you know. He he did it for that first season, and then after the first uh, season, had to go off on. I guess he was going on tour, is what it was, and was unavailable to record when we started uh, recording for the second season. So that they recast him with um, Rob Paulson. Yay! Hey, there and, you go. That uh, doesn't make yeah, sense. So why Robbie, Arthur seemed to change a little bit. I right. So really Mickey. Mickey was Arthur for season one, and then Robbie was Arthur for seasons two and three. So you and uh, Rob probably keep in pretty close contact. It seems like your paths keep crossing yeah. throughout these projects. Yeah, well, especially nowadays. Um, uh, we sort of didn't see each other for for a good chunk of time. I'd say maybe close to a decade. Uh, yeah, we'd run into each other every so often, you know, maybe at auditions and stuff, but rarely would see each other. Um, after the tick ended, because along around 2000, I sort of stopped doing animation. Now I, I ended up doing, I would, I would do guest stuff occasionally when, you know, Gina McSwain or, or, or Andrea Romano or somebody would, would have me in to, you know, be a part of a, a project like, you know, the Batman videos and stuff like that. But, oh yeah. 
or Jenny McSwain, you know, brought me in on uh, Mass Effect, uh, the, the first, first uh, Mass Effect video game. Um, you know, stuff like that. But 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 I sort of stopped doing that, and then and but until I did uh, Transformers animated in two thousand. Mm, <laughs> I'm guessing some like 2007 or so, 2007, 2008, right. 2009, somewhere in there. And, um, you know, and, and did that for a couple of seasons. Um, but basically wasn't doing animation anymore. All my work had sort of funneled down to being a network promo. And, uh, uh, that, but that's a whole another thing. But so, so I hadn't seen Robbie for really for a while since we'd stopped doing Turtles in 90, let's say we did... We stopped recording those in probably 96 or 97. And, um, wow, you know, yeah, it would have been that late 97. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, um, and, and so then I kind of, you know, didn't see him for the longest time. But then last year, uh, you know, they, they got the four of us original voices together to start going out to these Comic Con uh, conventions. And, uh, and we, so we, we've done a bunch of those in the last year and a half. And it's just been great, uh, you know, hanging with these guys again. Uh, and they're, they're some of the, you know, my favorite people on the planet. And it's always a blast getting together and, and doing these, you know, these conventions. So, yes, so I have been seeing him a lot more recently. And Rob's had us on his podcast and, and you know, his Talking Tunes podcast. Oh, that's and, a great uh, show. Yeah, it sure is. So, yeah, so I've, I've seen, um, you know, Rob a lot more in the last uh, – couple of years than I had in the prior decade. But I used to see Rob all the time because it seems like Rob is like the one other voice actor that I've done more, that I've shared more cartoons with, that I've shared more animation with than any other single voice actor. For some reason, it seems like we were, we were, we were always sort of getting paired up on, on cartoons from early, early on. You know, I think, sure. uh, and it's funny because I actually met Cam before either of us did any animation um no kidding yeah we we met we're um we both did an episode of super password and we met working on super password as contestants on super password really yeah and that was in i want to say i'd have to look back at my appointment book uh, <laughs> but i but i think that was like 30 years ago i think that was like uh, late 85 no it was it was earlier in 85 yeah, it was in like uh, April of '85 or so. So, so it was 30 years ago that we met, long before we ever auditioned for Ninja Turtles. So that's where I met Cam. But but Rob and I, it seemed like we were doing episodes of cartoons over at Hanna Barbera. We'd run into each other on episodes of like the the Snorks or the Littles or oh the Snorks, uh, Littles, you know, uh, wow. tra tra Transformers, uh, G One. I'm trying to think some others. We did a show called Saber Rider and the Star Sheriffs. Uh, oh my gosh, I remember. Yeah. I don't remember it. I'm seeing pictures. I remember it, but that's I about that all. One. Yeah, we did that, and and uh, and then we were on Fraggle Rock together, and then Ninja Turtles together, and My Little Pony, and. It's like it's like all these shows, sort of, kind of one after another. We did a show called Wildfire together over at Hanna Barbera. Uh, so all these shows, and then of course he went on to do Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain and classics. And, uh, yeah. You know, yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, and then and then um, I'm trying to think, he wasn't on uh, Waldo or or Pro Stars. Oh, we did a show called that was what it was. That's like the same season that we did Waldo, that I did Waldo and Pro Stars, 
Also, we also did a show called Space Cats. And the three Space Cats, this is a show developed by Paul Fusco, who was ALF, um, oh, did the voice yeah. of ALF and also the puppeteer on ALF. He created ALF. Um, he created this uh, a cartoon show called Space Cats. And, and there were three Space Cats. There was, there was Tom, Scratch, and Sniff. Tom was the leader, and he was sort of a wise-ass, and that was, that was Rob. <laughs> and, then, and then Scratch and Sniff were me and Pat Fraley. I was Scratch, and Pat was Sniff. And, and so the three of us were working on, on that, and that was in like 90, I want to say like 92 or so, 91, 92, 93, right in there somewhere. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, and then and then and then he was cast as Arthur on the Tick, and I was just you know oodles of shows that we've done yeah. together. The universe wants you two to work together. It would seem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly wouldn't mind. He's uh, he's he's the best to work with. Yeah, he's uh, like I said, his podcast is great, and I mean his voice also on top of yours is part of our childhood. I'd love mm, to have yeah. him on the show sometime too. Yeah. Hey, we yeah. could get you on here at the same time. It could be another thing you guys did together. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you had mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, though, into advert. You had done some advertising and promo work too. I mean, you've done uh, promo spots for like Judge Judy, uh, ABC Family, The Hub, uh, intros, or I think it's intros for Live with Kelly and Michael. You were even the Seven Up spot back in the day. Yeah, well, back yeah, back in the day, um, I used to do a lot of commercial uh, voiceover, a lot of on-camera commercials too. But then I sort of stopped doing that around the late '80s, around '89 or '90, and and then concentrate on just voiceovers. And and uh, and Seven Up Spot, it, it came along. It was one of those crazy things, you know. Again, those uh, you know unexplainable, serendipitous things where I uh, I was um, the announcer on the Kellogg's Frosted Flakes uh, commercials back in those days. And I was doing a Frosted Flakes session uh, with a producer who was in from Leo Burnett uh, in Chicago, who was in town uh, doing the sessions. And and after one of our sessions, he says to me, Tom's very familiar with the, the character, that little red dot, the 7-Up dot. Uh, we call him Spot, Cool Spot. And I said, yeah, I've, I've seen him. He says, well, the guy who, who does the voice of that and kind of created that campaign, that character, our, was our creative director at the agency. He's leaving the agency, going to a competing agency, and we can't, we can't use him anymore. And so we've got to recast this thing. And frankly, I don't feel like going through a big casting process. And I know you do a lot of animation and, you know, could probably do this in your sleep. Would you mind um, just laying down a little sample for me that I could take back to the agency and play for them. I said, would I mind? Of course not. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, what do you need? Yeah. So we talked about it and, you know, they're just looking for just some little, you know, wild gibberish stuff, you know, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of stuff. So I did just that, you know, and, uh, you know, did 30 seconds of that for him and took it back to the agency. And a couple of days later, I get a booking from my agent, they said, uh, did you audition for a 7-Up thing? And I said, oh, yeah. And I told them what had happened a couple of days earlier. I said, well, they want to use you. And I'm like, wow, cool. Okay, great. So I go do that session and lasted, you know, maybe an hour long. And all they were looking to do was just build a library of that kind of gibberish, you know, in that character in all kinds of different 
um, attitudes, uh, scenarios. You know, he's falling out of a tree. He's climbing up a hill. He's uh, escaping being hit by a boulder. He's, you know, he's running for his life. He's he's laughing hysterically. He's being tickled. You know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and and uh, and so we did that, and they ended up making like six or seven uh, national uh, TV spots out of that from that library for like the next seven years. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was just one of those things where, holy cow, you know, who knew? And you, 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 I mean, you can't plan for that kind of stuff. It just was there and it happened. And I was immensely thankful for that. And, you know, we only had to do one more session at one point that lasted about 20 minutes because they were looking for some specific stuff for a couple of spots they were doing that year and a video game they were putting together. And so they ended up doing an actual arcade game that you could, you know, those big standalone oh, wow. things that you see in the arcades, as well as, a, you know, like a Nintendo cartridge game for, for home games. Uh, they made a, a cool spot game out of that. That's and, incredible, uh, like a, an actual yeah. stand-up arcade machine for yeah. a uh, for the a soda mascot. That's, that's yeah, um, and nearly positive. I mean, if you Google it, I'm sure you could probably find pictures of it. It's um, is a is a pretty pretty cool gig. No, no pun intended, because they called him Cool Spot. <laughs> you know, and he he wore the sunglasses and you know ran around and doing all kinds of mischief. But uh, yeah, so there was so so there was that for sure. Um, and, you know, so I used to do a lot of commercials um, and had a lot of great accounts over the years and and um, that, you know, being one of them. But then but then in 93, as a matter of fact, the same month, August of 93, the same month that I got the tick. Audition for the tick again and got that and did our first episode of that. I also got this fluke audition for for uh, NBC now, NBC was looking for, they were starting this campaign called Must See TV, and they were looking for this um, guy that they had in mind to do this very particular style, this very specific style. And it was a guy who who, who wouldn't typically do um, network TV promos, much less, you know, commercials and stuff. I mean, he was a TV director himself, creative director, and and he was a voiceover guy and, and had sort of created this sound himself. And, and so they were looking for him and um i just happened to be standing in my agent's office the day that he got a call for him and and i just heard him saying because we had been talking then he, he his phone rang and he's he's on the phone with this guy from nbc and and he's saying no trust me he'll never do it he'll never do network tv promo no he just has no interest in that stuff no but i happen to have a guy here who does a similar style can i put him on the phone with you and i'm thinking what and so Jeff hands me the phone and says, you know, just do your thing. And, and so the guy gets on the phone with me um, from NBC and he explains what he's looking for. And I go, oh, okay, sure. So he gives me a sample line to read. I do it for him over the phone. He goes in that style and he says, wow, that sounds great. Um, can you come over here and try it on a promo? And I said, sure. When? And he said, now? And I said, sure, yeah. So I left, you know, my agent's office there at ICM and drove over to Burbank, uh, over to NBC, and went down to the basement and into this production studio and, uh, you know, a bunch of people in there waiting and explained to me what they were looking for. They showed me the spot and showed me the handed me the script. I sat down in the chair at, at the mic, and, and uh, this is back when Danny Dark was the voice of NBC. He had been the voice of NBC for probably 10 years or so, and... And I was a big fan of his. 
because uh, he had been on the radio for years too, but was the voice of Anheuser Busch, and and uh, he was the announcer on the Keebler spots, and oh, and okay. uh, I, I had met him years earlier when I was doing a Keebler Elf, and he came in at the end of the session to do the tag at the end of the spot, and I was like, it was the first time I met him, and I was seriously starstruck. Um, That's awesome. You know, yeah, it's funny because I I don't get like starstruck over like actual like movie stars and stuff. I would get starstruck over people that I was a big fan of, like right, who inspired like you. Danny's. And you know, I remember first time meeting Phil Proctor from Firesign Theater, and I was a big Firesign Theater fan in in high school. Yeah, and in fact, uh, that that's Nick, Nick Danger. What Phil Austin did on Nick Danger was was uh, largely responsible for what kind of informed my my thinking when I went to do the Tick. And so, you know, I would remember back on what they did with with uh, Nick Danger. And and so I remember meeting Phil Proctor for the first time when I came out here and we worked on a, a radio spot together. And I was like shaking, you know, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm actually working with one of the guys from Firesign Theater. Right. You know, so here the day I met uh, Danny Dark, you know, when he came in at the end of that Keebler s- session, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Danny Dark. <laughs> he's, just, he's the voice of NBC and he's Keebler and he's Anheuser Bush and he's Chevrolet and he's that voice. You can't mistake that voice. It's like iconic. And and so so when I went to NBC that day to sit down in that chair, which I took to be Danny's chair and sit at that mic, which I took to be Danny's mic and put on those headphones, which I took to be Danny's headphones was a, again, a, a, one of those, um, s- surreal career moments for me. And they hand me the script and I, and I sort of saw how this worked and they had a little TV monitor set up in front of me. And, and I just, I watched the commercial and I listened to it and, and I watched, followed along the script, and I thought, okay, I can do this, I can do this. And what was so cool about it, it was like a combination of going back to being on the radio and animation. It was like, it was like this sort of weird um, sort of, sort of amalgamation, uh, uh, amalgam, uh, amalgam of, listen, amalgam. <laughs> it, was, it was a weird amalgam of the two, and I amalgamated them together, and uh, yeah. So, but it was this weird sort of, you know, combo of animation and radio um, that, that felt very comfortable to me and very doable. And so... When we went to record the first pass, I did it in this style that they thought they were looking for, and they decided that it was maybe a little too dry, a little too uh, sardonic, and they needed something slightly more up and a little more energetic. And so we played with it, you know, for 10 or 15 minutes, and they ended up getting something they liked. That was that. I left. They ended up putting that spot on the air that night. Oh my and God. it was, wow, yeah, it, it was the first, it ended up being the first, uh, must see TV promo, uh, ever. And it ended up being the, uh, promo that launched the John Larroquette show, uh, in the fall of 93. So, so there I was, you know, having just, you know, only an hour or two earlier, you know, been in a, uh, just in my agent's office, having no idea that this call was going to come or that it was going to go down the way it went down or that I would end up going over to Burbank that afternoon and doing this, what I thought was an audition that ended up going on the air that night, um, that ended up becoming a 16 year run for me as the comedy voice, comedy promo voice of NBC. Wow. Um, that is so crazy. that ended up, 
Yeah, that ended up becoming easily my my biggest gig ever, you know, um, longest running, you know, and sort of sort of most high profile and um, nerve wracking and 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 um, and um, um, what I, I can't I don't know why I'm going blank here, but it's just, <laughs> it, it's just it, it, you know, you would think that I talk for a living or something, but I but it just, you know, it became one of the most meaningful gigs that I ever had. And for a lot of reasons, you know, and and one of the reasons is because my parents met in the early 50s in like 1951 or two working at NBC together, at 30 Rock in New York. And. And, and uh, so it was, so when I was, they got married in 53, I was born in May of 54 in Manhattan. And a year later, my dad, who had wanted to be a network announcer for NBC, if you can believe it, and it didn't work out for him, moved us from New York to Denver in 1955, where he got a job on the radio. And that was his first job on the radio in in denver and he ended up not staying on the radio for long i mean i think he was a dj for all of two years and then got out of it but isn't that a weird thing i mean kind of how that was very very, yeah i mean every all these different coincidences and stories you've been telling us everything seems to come full circle with you that's that's awesome yeah yeah exactly (laughs) so so yeah so that's how i ended up over at nbc and uh Three months after that, uh, that first spot that I did in August of 93, Halloween weekend of 93, they were going into the November sweeps, the rating period that lasts five weeks for the month of November plus. And they had been doing these um, just sort of generic 10-second uh, promos for The Tonight Show for Jay Leno. And Jay was getting pretty roundly um, contained by Letterman that first year that he was on the air. And they felt like they needed to up the, their promotion of him. So they were going to switch into this uh, thing where they, where they were, what they were calling hot topicals, where they were going to do a 20-second promo, but they were actually going to pull bits from the show that was being taped for later that night. And they were going to pull bits as it was being taped, make a promo from those bits so that when you saw the promo on the air, what you were seeing was were, were pieces of what was actually going to air later that night. And so it was very topical. And so they were changed. They were changing over to this new way of doing it. And on Halloween weekend, they were going into the November sweeps. It, they called me at home. A guy called me at home on Friday from NBC. And he says, Townsend, um, and he explained this whole process. And they'd very much like to use you for the voice of this. However, you'd have to commit to being here at seven o'clock every night, five nights a week for five weeks. And you can't be late because of the way it's being done. Because as soon as you record it, they mix it it goes straight on the satellite back to New York so that they can turn it around and get it on the East Coast network feed by like 1030 at night. Wow. No pressure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 uh, so for a half a second, I'm thinking, ooh, that sounds kind of like a real job. Um, it's kind of restrictive. It's, uh, you know, I can't go on vacation. I can't be late. I, it's right at dinner time, and I don't know. And then, and then I'm thinking to myself, dude, what are you, an idiot? <laughs> of course, you'll 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 get around those things. Trust me. And and so I said to them, Yeah, I'd love to do that. You know, well, when when do you need me to start? And he said, He said uh, Monday. I said okay, I'm there. And so this is on Friday night of Halloween weekend. And uh, so Monday night, I show up over at NBC, and 
you know, off we were, you know, running on these promos. We did them for five weeks and they liked the way they were going that the end of that five weeks for sweeps, they just never told us to stop. And so we showed up the following Monday and just kept going and kept going and kept going for 16 years. Now, see, 16 years for me, they're still doing them that way. And God bless them. You know, I mean, it's what, uh, you know, well, listen, I'm not going to say that's what turned, you know, things around for Jay. But I certainly think that that sort of um, relentless promotion uh, helped Jay a lot, you know, and, um, you know, and so they're still doing it that way today. And, uh, and so that was a very cool thing to be a part of for, you know, 16 years to be able to do Jay's uh, promos and, and the early Fallon promos when he was doing late night and and um, right. and uh, SNL spots and you know all that late night stuff was a lot of fun to do as well as you know all the the primetime comedy stuff that I was doing. Um, yeah, speaking of which, I mean, I as much as I remember your voice as Michelangelo, I remember it as uh, Thursday night must see TV with like Friends and Seinfeld and stuff. And I've I, I've got to hear that must see TV voice. Could you do that for me? Uh, oh gosh, seriously? Uh, <laughs> yeah, on the spot. Yeah, here you go. Uh, but not cool spot. Um, let's see. Tonight, it's an all-new Friends, Seinfeld, and Mad About You. Must-see oh TV God. Thursday on NBC. Oh, my God. Wow. NBC, must-see TV Thursday. Must-see TV Thursday tonight. You know, it's just, that's that just, so uh, awesome. But the cool thing about doing that stuff for them that was so wonderful about working for them for so many years is they were so... They were so cutting edge, you know, for promo at the time. And, and, and they really, you know, were thinking outside the box. I mean, that's so cliche, but they really were. They were doing stuff that wasn't being done at promo at the time. And they were giving me the freedom to play and, and so sort of to draw upon, and so, you know, some of my uh, animation background and, and be able to do some characters. And, you know, I've got some of those great old musty TV promos that are, you know, on my demo still that are just, you know, still such a crack up to listen to, you know, that were real over, you know, over the, 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 the top characters, uh, you know, the NBC flashback, you know, you'd be able to <laughs> tonight on an all new third rock Don, you know, would go off and do some weird thing. Oh um, man, that's so freaking awesome to hear say, that Why the hell am I wearing a diaper? That's what he would say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah, so, you know, to be able to sort of incorporate character into the promos that I was doing for NBC made that huge fun. You know, and I, and I miss them. I, they let me go about six years ago in, in uh, September of 2009. And, um, you know, but I've been really fortunate to still sort of continue on in the promo vein um, with uh, I'm doing um, some comedy stuff, uh, comedy promos for ABC. Now I do some of their Friday night uh, lineup, comedy lineup. And, um, yeah, like you had said, I was doing the, I did the hub for four years until they went off the air almost a year ago. And then, and then, uh, did judge Judy for gosh, 15, 16 years also, uh, until last fall, uh, also. And then, uh, and ABC family did for about four years, uh, until last fall. Also last fall was a, was a bit of a, was a bit of a blow. And I lost judge Judy, ABC family and the hub all within about, uh, six weeks of each other. Um, yeah. And that was, you know, you never like to lose gigs, but you especially don't like to lose them like all at once. So, but I'm still doing the, the, like you said, the daily promos for live with Kelly and Michael and little ABC and, you know, some other stuff here and there. And I'm always auditioning for new stuff, but, uh, listen, I, you know, knock on Formica, I am just lucky enough to have 
gotten into this business to begin with, to be able to, you know, have a bit of success doing it and some longevity doing it and to work on some pretty fun, iconic stuff along the way. And to still, at my age, um, be, you know, still have some energy and, and, and have people, you know, want to hire me. So I sure. consider myself extremely blessed and, and fortunate to, you know, Right. To be where I, I am. I mean, your luck will only bring you so far. Your talent has definitely carried you the rest of the way. So many different voices in there. It's it's amazing that uh, you house that many characters inside you. That's it's just amazing. <laughs> oh, you just saying that. Seriously, not really. I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> I do, I do, man. Because you get me all like, <laughs> you guys, I love you guys uh, because you're in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> we need to have you just sitting in the corner here all the time yeah. when we're recording this show. It would be great. <laughs> Right, just going. <laughs> <laughs> well, uses the sound effect track sitting behind us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh wow! Look at that car driving by. Is that what that was? <laughs> Don't get me started. I'm telling you, shut him up now. Okay. <laughs> All right, shut him up. He's shutting up. Shut him up. Here we go. Shut him up, please. He's shutting up. That is incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Ow. Ow! Stop! You guys quit hitting me. <laughs> Who's beating you up over there, Townsend? Nobody. <laughs> He's gone off the deep end. <laughs> anyway, give me a sec. Give me a sec. <laughs> okay, I'm better. I'm back. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. We broke Townsend Coleman. <laughs> That's amazing. So, I mean, you've worked so many ends of the spectrum when it comes to uh, vocal acting. I mean, and you mentioned a little bit of advice for, uh, you know, upcoming and inspiring voice actors. Uh, is there anything else, anything you can uh, really tell them to uh, practice or to watch out for when getting into the business? Yes, watch out for low-hanging fruit because they can be very advantageous. You want to grab those. Um, watch out for low-hanging microphone booms because they can hurt. <laughs> uh, watch out for... Um, um, Gosh, I, I don't know. You know, it's, what I would say just on a generic note is if you got a passion, and, and this isn't just for this work, but, I mean, if you got a passion for something, do yourself a favor and, and chase it down. Go for it. You know, at least, at least give it a shot because you never know until you try, and if you don't try, you'll never know. And if you don't try, you know, at some point in your life, you're going to look back going, I wish I'd tried. And, and so, and if you have a passion for this business specifically, go for it. You know, um, if you want to get into animation, you pretty much have to be out here in LA mostly, you know, or unless you're Canadian up in Toronto or Montreal, uh, you know, if you want to do commercials, listen, technology is such now that, you know, you can pretty much find yourself an agent in almost any market you know, that you're near and with technology being what it is, you don't really even need to be in the markets anymore. Listen, some of the most working promo guys around and gals, um, d you know, live in Florida, you know, don't, don't even live here in LA or New York or Chicago. They, you know, they're, they're elsewhere. And, um, you know, so technology is pretty cool in that sense. It's also pretty much a, a, a pain in the butt in, in, in that it's terrible, not a pain in the butt, but it's just, it's terribly, it can be terribly isolating. All my work, 
I do out of my house, um, just as I'm talking to you guys right now. Um, wow. At, you know, we just hook up via ISDN. And even better, now, via Source Connect now, um, so you don't even need ISDN, I can, you know, at least this frees me up. It cuts the cord enough so that I could go visit, you know, my son and his family in Denver, or my daughters and their families in Portland, you know, and visit them and work while I'm there, which is not something I could do easily uh, until now. Um, so, so there's that, you know, if you're just looking to get into voiceover, there are all kinds of voiceover workshops, there are all kinds of voiceover workout groups, there are all kinds of voiceover um, websites, forums, uh, advice columns, uh, schools, uh, online learning, you name it, um, websites for getting work, uh, primarily non-union stuff, um, but um, a lot of it out there. And, you know, listen, there's a huge market because, you know, with especially with the Internet, I was going to say with, with all the channels on TV and cable, you know, and all the, the various shows and cable shows, you know, they're, they're all doing promotion of some sort, all of them. Every, everything is being promoted somehow, some way, somewhere. So there's all kinds of voice work there. There's all kinds of voice work, you know, on the internet for for all the shows that are in web series and 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 you name it that's coming out online. It's true. Um, mm-hmm. Some of it exclusive. Some of it exclusively online. That's not even you know hitting TV anymore. You know when when you've got you know shows coming out on you know Amazon Prime uh, that are series you're going to watch as if you were watching a TV series, but you're watching it, you know, on your computer or in your Apple TV, you can watch it on your TV, but it's just not broadcast. You know, it's, it's internet. This is the way everything's going now anyway. So it'd be very curious to see, you know, what happens to the broadcast networks in 10 years and 15 years and 20 years. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And terrestrial TV, just as kind of what's going on with terrestrial radio, you know, it's very different world right now. Yeah. You know, and changing, changing by the minute. Yeah, it's hard to say where we'll be in another 10 years yeah. technology-wise. It just keeps getting faster and faster. Yeah. Well, well Townsend, I want to thank you so much uh, for humoring us today and uh, talking with us. <laughs> this has been just surreal for yeah. all three of yeah. us sitting here. My pleasure, you guys. Again, I appreciate you, just, you guys just being fans. Um, honestly, if it weren't for you guys and, and all the folks like you, uh, we, I wouldn't even have a job. So, um it's what's been. It's what's made it so wonderful and rewarding and delightful, and uh, and just fun, uh, you know, for thirty years for me. So thanks. Well, thank you for being a uh, true staple to all of our childhoods. I mean, it wouldn't be the same without you. So thank you. Of course, thanks. Arthur, I'll be in here. Quiet now. I'm recording. Hello, Tick here. <clears throat> you, my friend. Well. If you're an evildoer, cover your ears, because you are listening to the Canned Air Podcast, which is nothing but Keen Spoon! All right, Arthur, you can come out now. All right, and that was our interview with Townsend Coleman. My God, what a lot of fun that was. That was, I've said it a million times already during the interview, but surreal. Mm -hmm. It's the only word to uh, put on that. And it seemed so easy to get into business. Well, he just kind of fell into everything. <laughs> All because of a one turn. Yeah. Because of his landlord. Yep. Yeah. That yeah. landlord. I, I mean, had that same kind of thing happen to me, but, well, maybe that's why the, I'm on a podcast. Without now. the following success. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got evicted once. Now I talk on the radio and don't get paid. Hang in there, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Our day's coming. Our day's definitely coming, right? 
Well, you can find Townsend Coleman on Facebook and also on the Internet Movie Database, IMDB for short, as we all know it nowadays. Uh, there's just a whole long, long list of everything he's done. I mean, what we mentioned in today's episode, just the tip of the iceberg. He's done so much more stuff, and he was actually uh, Silvermane in the old Spider-Man cartoon. If you guys knew that or not. Yeah. <laughs> I've, we had to re-record that part, okay? I mispronounced it, but hey, you know who I'm talking about? That was a great show. Also, uh, The Dark Knight Returns, I think he did some voices yeah. in that movie, so He's yeah. He's done a lot of voice, a lot of game voices, too. Yeah, all over the place, all over the place. So yeah, get on his IMDb, maybe we can put a link to that on the website. Mm-hmm. You guys can uh, see everything he's been in, but yeah, I guess that'll do it for this week's episode. Anything else, guys? I'm happy. Me too. I feel uh, very (laughs) pleased right now. So thanks again to Townsend Coleman. And until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Jeff Holcomb. Thanks for listening, everyone. Boop, boop. you come over here and spray paint your name on the wall but i don't wanna what are you chicken hold on there boys wow it's flint instead of writing your name write candairpodcast.com and help spread the word well that's a great idea now we know and knowing is half the battle gi joe hey cortana Tell me a joke. I'm sorry. I didn't get that. Tell me a joke. Hey, Cortana, tell me a joke. How do you catch a runaway laptop? With an internet. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotus, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.